I remember the first time that I had a teacher call home. It was in the fifth grade. And for whatever reason, I felt like this teacher was kind of like singling me out in front of everybody all the time. So I told my parents and I said, mom, dad, I feel like this teacher is calling me out. And they said, well, you know what? You, you should stick up for yourself. And so the, my fifth grade mind said, okay. And so my teacher one day, when all the other classes were gifted extra recess and, and how you, you do know if you're in fifth grade here today, recess is the best. It's the only thing that you look forward to at the school day. And, and all the other classes had recess, extra recess. And our teacher goes, no, 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 not you guys. Come on back. Not you guys. We have work to do. And like, let's think about this, work or recess. We like recess better. And so we were not happy. We were stomping along. And I remember we got back to the class and the teacher was not happy about our reaction. And she decided to give us a lecture. And in this lecture, she used me as an example. She said, and Andrew, it's just looking like the world's ending. And she goes on and on. And I said, this is my opportunity to stand up for myself. And so I politely raised my hand like I've been taught to do. And she goes, yes, Andrew. I said, listen, you didn't have to call me out in front of the whole class to make me feel bad or anything. And then there was like this awkward pause. And you heard like maybe a little, like some of the kids go, ooh, you know? And then she goes, make you feel bad. What about me? And she blows up and there's this big like monologue towards me which wasn't good I think in my brain I was like I don't think I did what I should have done then and so there was this couple hours that passed and she pulls me out in the hallway the, all the popular kids are trying to like slap five with me I'm like what's going on here and so I go out in the hallway I'm, I'm not used to this I'm a goody two-shoes growing up and and I sit with the teacher and this is what she says she says something I'll never forget she says Andrew I didn't want to get you in trouble but I called mom. Ugh. Wait, let's look at this straight. Let's rewind this back. You don't want to get me in trouble, but yet you did the one thing that got me in trouble. And so I'm like, nah, man, I'm going to have to face my mom when I get home. And so sure enough, I get off the bus and my, my parents aren't used to getting phone calls from teachers. And so they're like, she's like, go outside and rake the leaves. And I'm like, okay. And I'm raking the leaves and I'm crying. And then I, I talked to my parents later and they said, what happened? I said, I was just trying to stand up for myself. And the thing was, is that we can look back at that fifth grade me and say, well, I didn't really go about it the right way. I was defensive. She was defensive. We, in a sense, both went about it wrong. And what I want to do today is kind of have a family conversation because there's a lot of fights. There's a lot of finger pointing, a lot of really tough scenarios that we're all trying to work through. And, and the, the truth is, is that I wish we could have all left it in fifth grade, but it still exists in our adult life. It still, it follows us through. Conflict will always be there. And so I want to have a family conversation today, not as a teacher, not as a, of the father, but, but as a, as a brother to our, my brothers and sisters here today. I want to, this, this is including me. Because in our nation right now, words and actions like really matter. In fact, they've always mattered. Before, in these difficult times, was on the airways, right? The words and actions always matter. And I think what we need to do is kind of zoom out a bit here today and kind of reshuffle our cards. 
because this is an extremely sensitive time. It gives us an opportunity to hit pause and kind of re-examine how we respond and how we act in today's culture. Because what we say and what we do not say and what we do and what we do not do really, really matters. As the church, we have the potential to build bridges to a hurting world. That God has always designed for his people back in Israel to even today for us to be a blessing to the nations. But the problem is, is that as I zoom out, as we all zoom out, we look at the American church as a whole. We're not always known for that. And if you're not a Christian, maybe this is what has turned you off about church, that Christians could be more known for what they're against instead of what they're for. They'd be more judgmental and, and more wanting to win the argument than talk to you. And if you're listening in, I think it's important to realize that we as a church, we, we want to get this right. We're trying. <laughs> because we live in a, in a time of extremes. And, and this can be found for in the secular media. This can be even found in the American church. That like, oh, you, you believe this, so you, you must side with them. Or, or you like this, so you must like that. We are quick to snap and put people in categories. We're quick to name call. We're quick to dismiss conversations because they might belong to this group or that group. And, and here's what this message is not. It is not a political message here this morning. The problem is that as Christians, we can get so caught up in these political arguments. This side versus that side, pointing fingers, being defensive. See, this isn't us about us identifying with a human institution, but it's about identifying with a holy one, and that is the kingdom of God, our higher allegiance. And that's the title of today's message, A Higher Allegiance. And so as we reshuffle our cards here this morning, I want to bring us all back, myself included, to what our higher allegiance is. Because as I look at the church of, at large, I have to think, where is discernment? Where is wisdom? The way that we treat others, the decisions, even if we, outside of this time of COVID and outside of all the stuff that's going on now, the, the decisions that we make as Christians, what we're okay with, what we laugh at, how we spend our money, it doesn't always reflect the gospel. And I, this has been heavy on my heart for a, a whole bunch of months now. And I, I don't know if you know, I'm the worship pastor of this church. And a lot of time I'm, I'm the guy with the guitar. And as I get to close the services, I don't know if you've caught, but I've been praying, God, would you give us discernment in this hour? Would you give us wisdom? Would you guide us? Would you guide me? And so this has been something I've been thinking about and praying about for months. Losing sleep over, actually. In the middle of the night, just kind of my face, like, God, like, what does this look like for us? What does it look like for me? And so I want to talk about discernment. And discernment's not like the coolest thing. It's not the message where we're like, oh, man, I can't wait to learn about this. Like, this is the one you, you scroll past. This is the one that we don't like to think about, but yet it is the most important. So let's talk about it. What is discernment? Discernment is the ability to obtain sharp perceptions or to judge well. It's the ability to think biblically about all areas of life. Discernment is being able to eat the meat and spit out the bones. Discernment sees beyond the facts that are given 
and goes right to the heart of the issue. Discernment hears out the person speaking before making a judgment. And most importantly, discernment sifts through our own desires and leads us to God's desires for a matter. Discernment is something that's given by God. And our job is to steward it. Our job is to desire it. As it says in James, that we have not, we need to ask for wisdom if we feel like we don't have it. So we are to ask God and then we are to steward it. But we need to know it's not something we could buy at the store. It comes from God. And and here's the thing. This really, really matters. In this time, in the times to come, in the times before, having biblical discernment affects every area of our lives. It affects our finances, our relationships, our politics, our life decisions, our morality, and it affects our faith. And without discernment and without wisdom, and when I say that wisdom about every area of our life, we're going to fall apart. We won't be a force of good. We'll just be more noise in an already noisy world. And so, guys, this is a family conversation. We're coming together. You know, it's kind of like in, in, in a scene in, in like every football movie where like the team's getting beat bad and the, and the coach leans over and he says, oh man, we're getting beat out there, guys. You know, and that's, this is the locker room. This is where we're talking. And for those of us who aren't a Christian or, or maybe we're tuning in or we're coming back to the church and we're new to it, I hope you would see something today that, that this message is also for you. We're glad you're here hope that you'll see that there's a God who is for you, who wants a relationship with you. And as we open the scriptures, I think we're going to learn some things about his intentions, about how we are to be. And I hope you would see we're just people just trying to get it right. And so my, my goal for today is to talk about discernment. And it's a big topic. We, we're not going to even scratch the surface, but my, my hope is that it'll get us thinking about it. It'll get us slow to reacting that we can go out there and live a life of love because it affects every area of our life, not just in this time, but in all times. And so I want to look at two snapshots in the Bible today. And in these two snapshots, I think we're going to learn four things. Again, scratching the, the, the surface of what discernment is. But I think these four things can really help us see how this practically plays out in our life. And so I want to go into the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, Some background, Daniel lived during the time when Israel was taken captive by Babylon. This takes place around 603 BC. King Nebuchadnezzar took some of the wisest Hebrews to work with him in his palace. And King Nebuchadnezzar, like most ancient cultures would, they kind of renamed the captives that they took. They had them eat their food, to worship their gods, to learn their language. It was a good old-fashioned brainwash, kind of a forced assimilation into their culture. And right in the beginning of Daniel, we see him make an awesome decision. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. Daniel made up his mind not to defile himself. Daniel made up his mind not to defile himself. Let's think about this for a second. You're kidnapped and taken from your homeland, and you're brought into a palace and you're gifted all these things. I mean, that's not a bad gig, right? If, if, if I was kidnapped, though, that would stink. But being able to be brought into a palace and then have all the choice food, have the best wine, have all the things at your fingertips that you've always wanted, 
It doesn't sound that bad, but Daniel knew where it led to. And he made up his mind in the beginning, says, no matter what happens, I'm going to serve God. And that shows that he had a higher allegiance. That's why he made that decision. He's like, hey, I'm not going to eat that food because the food was worshiped, was sacrificed to idols. And he didn't want to partake in their idol worship. And so he decided he made up his mind not to defile himself because of his higher allegiance, not to a tyrant king, Nebuchadnezzar, but to his heavenly father. And I have to look at, at us. Turn the mirror on ourselves. Does our decisions and our conduct reflect our higher allegiance to God? Like for me, does my decisions and my conduct, the way I treat people, the way I talk with people, the decisions I make, does it reflect my allegiance to God? Am I kind? Am I mean-spirited? Am I loving? Am I hypocritical? Am I honest? Do I cheat? The things that, that I'm okay with, are they pointing to Jesus or are they pointing to Babylon? Are they pointing to our, what our culture says? Because a tree is known for its fruit. And so today, Christian, what is your fruit? And this is a message that comes with grace too. And, and we're going to talk about kind of if you were to look at a tree and you, you'd be able to tell what type of tree it is by its fruit, right? And for us, we might look at our fruit and if we're honest today, it's maybe not that good. But here's the beautiful thing. Our God loves to prune branches so that the tree can be a better tree, have better fruit. And so today, as we talk about these things, we need to allow the grace of God to formulate it. We're not here to condemn, but we're here to convict. We're not here to rip out. We're here to prune branches. And so as we all kind of look at this, let us remember the grace that comes from our God. And so Daniel, he makes his decision. He makes up his mind not to defile himself in a world system that is corrupt. And for us, we haven't necessarily made up our mind totally. We might see this a lot. We have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. This is the church at large. Maybe even some of us here today, if we're honest. We, we love this and we love the church though. We love so many different things. We're divided amongst ourselves. And in understanding discernment and why we maybe don't see a lot of it in our world, we need to realize that it probably comes from a lack of devotion or a lack of a mind that is made up to serve God. And so that's the first thing if you're taking notes here today. Discernment starts with a made up mind to serve God. Discernment starts with a made-up mind to serve God. If you're not a Christian here today, God isn't out to crush you. If anything, he wants to lead you and guide you. He's out for your good. And again, Jesus welcomes you. This is not about getting perfect people together. If anything, we're imperfect and we need him. And so again, I hope you would lean into the grace that our God gives us. But this is where discernment comes from. It starts with a made-up mind to serve God. And Daniel, he does this. He does this. And it's important because conflict will come for Daniel. So later, King Nebuchadnezzar, he has a dream. And in his dream, it terrifies him. And he, and he calls all the wise men of the land together and says, hey, you need to interpret this dream for me. And none of them could do it. They all fall short. And King Nebuchadnezzar, who was a tyrant king, could do whatever he wanted, said, I'm going to put a decree out. If I have wise men and they can't do what I need them to do, I'm going to kill all the wise men. Gets really intense quickly, and we pick up 
in Daniel chapter 2, verse 13. So the, the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Look what it says in verse 14. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He said to Arioch, the king's commander, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. Now let's put ourselves in this situation for a second. If someone comes in the room and says, Andrew, I'm here to kill you. I don't think I would ask them questions. I think I would fight and flight. I'd be like, oh, why? Punch in the mouth, run out the door, and hopefully my ankle holds up so I can run away, right? That's what I would do. But Daniel, instead of fighting back, he uses discernment to ask questions. And what happens in the next couple of verses, we see that Daniel gets informed by the matter. Hey, what's going on? Arioch fills him in. And then he's able to talk to the king and get time. He says, listen, I, tell the king, I'm going to interpret his dream. Just give us time. And they listen. It's amazing. Could it be that because Daniel made up his mind earlier to not defile himself, that he had the character that gave him favor later for the king to listen to him? Stuff we can take today. And so the second thing that we see about discernment is discernment slows it down. Discernment slows it down. If I'm honest, my gut reaction isn't always the best one. I think this is why James, the brother of Jesus, in his book James, chapter 1, verse 19, says that everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. He says that because often, often we can let ourselves respond out of anger or out of emotion. We could be quick to let our pride kind of catch up, our political team, our own desires lead us to make snap decisions, snap comments. But what discernment says is, hey, before you do that, slow down. And the application here is that we need to ask questions. Daniel didn't know what was going on. He leaned in and asked. I think a lot of times as we look at ourselves and we look at the, the conflicts that we find ourselves in and the, and the discussions, what if we just sat down and said, hey, what's your point of view? Why, why, is this, why do you believe what you believe? And we tried to understand where the other person was coming from. See, that's what Daniel did. And once he did, he was able to discern how to navigate and get them more time. Likewise, we need to be humble and have open hands when it comes to talking about a matter, searching out a matter, or making decisions about our own lives. Look what happens as the story continues to unfold. Then, verse 17, Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 18, why did he go to the house? So that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And so before Daniel does anything, he runs to the house of the people who believe like him and says, listen, we got to pray. 
Because he knew something, that they needed wisdom, not from themselves, themselves, but they needed godly wisdom. They needed God's wisdom on the matter. That if Daniel walked into the king's presence and tried to just hit fire, guess what the dream was? It's not going to go anywhere. And so Daniel knew that before he can act, he needs prayer. He needs God to show up. And for us, we can kind of use prayer as a cop-out sometimes. You know, people will be like, oh man, like my leg and my body hurts. And I'm like, oh, I'm praying for you. A week passes, they come back and they're like, thanks for praying for me. Everything's better. And you're like, oh, I forgot. <laughs> like I do this all the time. Like, oh, you know, sometimes I'm honest. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, sorry, I forgot. But that's good that God came through, right? Like we can sometimes use prayer as a cop, but not necessarily on purpose. We mean well, we do. Christians often can say, I'm praying for you. And the world then can see that and say, well, that's nice but I'm actually going to do something about it. Maybe we've heard this fight go on in culture, right? As if the two are separate. But the truth of the matter is they're not. Daniel understood this. He knew that in order to act, he needed prayer. Ben Stewart really illustrates this point really well. He says this, Prayer does not remove the need for action. Prayer refines our action. Prayer is not the enemy of action. Prayer is the guide of our action. Covert prayer will lead to confident plans. Prayer does not replace plans. It informs plans. Because of Daniel's understanding, he seeks prayer. And he walks in to the king's court, interprets the dream. The king is at peace. The decree is lifted, and many lives are saved. And so what we can take from this story, the third thing here today, is that discernment fueled by prayer informs our actions. Discernment fueled by prayer informs our actions. I want you to think of it in baseball terms. Think of an outfielder. The outfielder doesn't walk to the same spot, put their feet down, raises their mitt and just waits for the ball to come to them. That would be a bad outfielder. That would be like me on the church softball team when the ball hit me in the eye and I had a black eye, right? And I sat on the bench. I deserved it, right? That, that's, that, that would make a bad outfielder. But what a good, makes an outfielder good is the fact that they have to make course corrections. Why? Because we know the, bat, the ball doesn't go off the bat the same way. So there's going to be course corrections that need to be, be made. Specific steps for each situation. And the same is true about the sermon. It is inviting God's spirit to help us field the new situations that come our way. I need this. You need this. Because we have a lot of situations that will always come our way. And man, we see Daniel just really demonstrating for us how important it is to operate with discernment. Look what happens in verse 47. This is the result of what Daniel did. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Daniel's actions lead a tyrant, murderous king to honor God. That's amazing. And, and if I can just appeal to us, if I could just dream with us for a second, what if our actions led others to seeing God's goodness? 
What if people looked at us and they said, you know, I don't know if I agree with everything they are about, but man, their God looks really enticing. Man, I want what they have. What if instead of building a wall, we, we built a bridge to others? And so if we commit ourselves to the Lord, we start praying about our actions that God might refine them, perhaps then we're going to start to see more and more of our churches and our world responding in discernment. Because where the Spirit of God is, guys, that's where we want to be. That's where I want to be. I don't want to do anything that is of me because it doesn't do anything. It doesn't make a dent. But when we operate in how God has called us to live, oh man, the possibilities are endless. And so that, we close the book on the first snapshot of Daniel. And now we're going to open later to Jesus and Zacchaeus. It always comes back to Jesus. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 19, verse 1. We're just going to dive right in. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a, a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and he was unable because of the crowd for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him for he was about to pass through that way. And so let's understand how people viewed tax collectors in that time. There were people who were considered traitors because the Hebrew people were oppressed by Rome and then some of these people who became tax collectors started to work for Rome. And so they were considered evil. And in the scripture, it says that Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector and he was rich, which means that he ripped off his people a great deal to become rich. And so he was despised by his own people. And Jesus is headed right for him. Look what it says in verse five. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and ignored Zacchaeus. Then Jesus went home and wrote a Facebook post condemning tax collectors, saying they're idiots who are the worst people ever. Wait, no, that's not what it says. Jesus didn't gather the group of disciples together and talk bad about Zacchaeus. They didn't talk bad about them and say, oh, we're gonna get rid of all tax collectors. Jesus didn't, didn't have like little community groups of people to talk about the issues of tax collecting. No, he didn't do that. He does something very different than my default and yours. Let's read the real verse five. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble saying, he is gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And so the people standing there, they already categorized Zacchaeus. He's a sinner. And the funny thing about that is we're all sinners, but they name called. They put him in a box so that they can other him in a sense. And they look down on Jesus for wanting to be close to him. See, the people of that time, they didn't want a forgiving Jesus. They wanted a dictator Jesus. They wanted a Jesus to come into Rome and crush Rome, set up a new government. 
push away the tax collectors, right? Like, like using Jedi power to pull Zacchaeus out of the tree, smash him to the ground, pull him up again, smash him to the ground again. Like that's the people, that's what Jesus, that's what the people wanted Jesus to do. Now we have to think about ourselves for a minute before we can look at the Pharisees of that, of that day and be like, man, yeah, forgiving Jesus is great. That's who we want. We could easily judge those people of that day, but it, it, the truth is if, if I was given the power or supernatural powers for that matter, that would not be a good thing, right? I'm driving in traffic. Somebody cuts me off. Just remove the wheels in their car and put their car on the side of the road. They're safely there, but they have to think about what they did, right? The other day I was, we were at our green room our youth group pool party, and there's this little kid just splashing me in the face. I'm like, hey, little kid, stop. And he just kept doing it and doing it. If I had the power, boom, we're going to put you in the tree for a second. Hang up there for a minute. Think about what you did. Right? Like, we would use our power for bad. We would try to leverage it over people. And God, who came in, the, in, a, in, a, in a human form, could have totally done that. See, history would have loved a Jesus that came in and crushed Rome, set up a new government. We're going to do everything our way. But Jesus didn't come in and do that. He didn't crush Rome. But he allowed himself to be crushed for us. He saw the bigger issue. He didn't do what us humans wanted to leverage his power. But he came in and took care of our greatest need. And see, we know the rest of the story. Zacchaeus, he repents. He promises to give back what he stole. He changes that the kindness of God led him to repentance. Andy Stanley says this amazing quote that I love. He says, do you want to build a bridge or do you want to be right? Jesus was God in the flesh and he had every right to be right, to put us in our place. But he didn't subdue this man. Instead, he showed him mercy and it was that mercy. It was, hey, I'm going to come to your house. We're going to talk. We're going to sit down. We're going to have a meal together. That changed him. When I look at us, we can ha- kind of have this winning mentality. Look at myself. Man, we, we just want to win. We want to win the argument. We want to get what we, we want at any cost. We don't like being wrong when someone is walking around in their wrongness. Like we want to prove them right. Like this is, this is in us. It's not natural. And see, this is why today we need to talk about this. We need to invite God to give us wisdom and discernment how to field these situations that come our way. But we need to remember that Jesus didn't come to subdue his enemies and win. No, he came to lose, to be murdered by his own creation, to be hung on a tree that he planted, to bleed on the soil that he formed. He came to purchase us from our sin so that he can win the victory of death. The more important thing, my sin and your sin being obliterated. That's what Jesus came for. He came to build, to build a bridge. And guys, we should do likewise. So the last and final thing that we see from these scriptures here today about discernment, the fourth thing is discernment does what Jesus does. Discernment does what Jesus does. And that's what I want us to walk away with, to keep that in mind, that we may seek God for discernment. As we close, in a world that snaps back out of reaction, in a world that's quick to be offended, will always be quick to be offended, in a world that has tons of violence, 
we will always need discernment as God's people because we can easily slip into that. We can easily slip into the arguments, slip into the fighting. But we are called to a higher allegiance. We are called to be a people and a blessing to this world. And we're not always going to get it right, church. But we could sure try. And so I want to recap the four things we talked about. Discernment starts with a made-up mind to serve God. Discernment slows it down. Discernment fueled by prayer, it informs our actions. We're to be people of action. But under the power of the Spirit, right? And last but not least, to hold it all together, discernment does what Jesus does. I don't know if you guys remember, and some of them are still around, the WWJD bracelets. So cool, man. I, I really think that's a, as a, as a way as we shift to talking about how we practically do this today. Man, what if we had those bracelets either on metaphorically or literally? There's another company out there called He Would Love First, and they, they, they put the acronym in the same way as those bands. And so what would Jesus do? He would love first. And what if we applied that to our moral decisions? Decisions we make in our relationships, what we decide to watch, what we decide to say, what we're okay with in our own lives. What if we apply, well, what would Jesus do? It's cheesy, it is, but it's so true. What if we apply that to our conversations with people or the, the Facebook posts or the social media posts we make? What if we, before we had a conversation or we, before we had a post, we thought to ourselves these questions, is this gonna build a bridge or is it gonna draw a line in the sand? Is this going to be helpful, or is it going to start a fight? Will this bring people to Jesus, or will push them away? And even a couple of months ago, Doug, in one of his message, messages, was talking about how we can post so, much, so many mean things, or say even mean things to people, call them idiots, and, and, and just horrible things, mean things. And then a couple of posts later, or a couple of weeks later, we talked to a friend, hey, come to my church. And how that ruins our witness. Today, church, we're gathering together. We're in the locker room. We're losing out there. But it doesn't have to be that. We all have an opportunity to be a part of a good thing. We look in the mirror today. We don't point from to without. We don't point at, well, he said and she said and she's doing. And no, no, it's about us. It's about us here today. And we need to remember something, that the person you struggle with the people in this world whom you disagree, they are, they are loved. And they are created in the image of God. And when we name call, when we categorize people, put them in boxes, we're not acting like Jesus. We need to be more like Jesus where Jesus sat with Zacchaeus. Man, what if we sat with people, tried to learn where they're coming from? We don't have to change their minds, but we could just show them love. We can try to understand the argument why. So maybe God would give us discernment how to handle these things in our life. That's what we need in this hour. And so some action steps. I think we need to repent, church. I think I need to repent. I think we need to listen. Be quick to listen, right? Slow to speak. I think we need to be humble. And also remember that we, we represent Jesus. Because the sermon, it, it does what Jesus does. And so let us seek God for his discernment. And here's my fear about this message. My fear is that 
We might use it to condemn others' behavior when, again, like I said just a moment ago, it's about looking at our own lives. And this message kind of falls apart if that's how we are going to use it. This is calling us to a higher level. And, and I, I'm even looking at my own life. I was on my face a couple of weeks ago. This has been just kind of a hard week for me with preparing for this and been on my face in, in the middle of the night, not able to sleep. I'm just saying, God, I'm a coward. There's so many ways that I could be living this out in a better way. And so for me, I'm learning stuff. Man, I'm going to the Lord about this. And, and let's all do that together because there's certain things that we can do in this hour that can really make an amazing difference. Sermon is something we need. Wisdom is something we need. And it comes from our lo a loving and heavenly Father. If you're not a Christian here today or you're listening online, I pray that, wow, that you would just forgive us for where we fail. We're not perfect. We're far from it. But that's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He sees his broken church all throughout history from Israel to now, just we fail, but he's faithful. to a people that are unfaithful. He's loving. And I pray that you would see that there's a God who is for you today, who built a bridge to be close to you so that he could rescue you from your sin and you didn't have to stay in it, that I didn't have to stay in it. And I hope you would put your trust back in him today. But church, for all of us, Jesus had a way of calling forth potential from people that he was like a magnet for broken people. They loved being around him, but they never laughed the same. He wasn't out to win, but Jesus was out to lose for our sake, to die for our sins, and to have the victory over death. What if we did the same? Church, this is a, this is a dark hour, and you know what? It always will be to some degree. Even after this current struggle we find ourselves in, this is still important. We're called to be bridge builders and grace carriers. And this is what we're called to do in this time and beyond. And it all requires discernment. It requires wisdom. And so let us repent. Let us listen. Let us be humble. Enjoy his grace and dispense his grace to our hurting world. Would you pray with me, church? God, we just repent for where our church, and when I say our church, I mean the, 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 the church at large, where it finds itself in this time. We invite you, God, and we invite your mercy to make the difference. This is the kindness of God that turns people from their sins. And we pray, God, that we thank you for the kindness that you've showed us. I pray that we would dispense that. I pray that we would remember our higher allegiance here this morning, that it's not to a group that changes, but it's rooted in heaven that never changes. And God, we invite you. We invite you to be that difference that you and your love, God, needs to be the loudest thing that is about us. 
that it may go out into a hurting world and bring change. And so God, as we look in the mirror today, I pray that, that this group here today, those listening online, that we can go out and make a difference. That we would be bridge builders and grace carriers in this time. That we would see your love change from the inside out because sin cannot be destroyed by laws but it starts from you dealing with the heart God we give you our hearts and we invite you to take the hearts of every person in our nation that you may soften them and give them your love that that it would change the outside so we thank you God we invite you to be with us that we would Bear better fruit in this next season, Jesus. We thank you that you're a God of love and mercy and you're a God that works wonders and we invite you to do that today. And we pray this in your name, Jesus.